Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth, or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. Today's moment is from the Double Violin Concerto in D minor, BWV 1043, Movement 2. Music is full of contrast. Three movements, fast, slow, then fast. But broken down into smaller parts, this second movement comprised of two contrasting main themes. And depending on how you look at it, a theme and then a counter theme, two violins, a concerto for two violins, each with their own role, complementing and contrasting each other, a concerto section, which is the two violins themselves, and a ripieno section, which is the rest of the orchestra. All of these contrasts serve to create an artistic whole. We've talked in the past a bit about what a concerto is. Typically, it will be an instrument or group of instruments with a featured role, and then a, to put it not so nicely, less important group of instruments who are playing the background stuff. But as you could imagine with Bach, he still treats those background instruments with a lot of importance. Here we have a double violin concerto, which means two violins make up our concerto section, two violin soloists, or you could call it a duet, I guess, but really they share the spotlight. In this recording, Shunsuke Seto playing the violin one part and Emily Deans playing the violin two part. I remarked to Christian just before we started recording here, one thing I think is really special about this particular recording, besides the fact that they're playing on Baroque instruments, as they always do in Netherlands Bach Society videos, is the fact that these two violinists are so in sync with each other tone-wise. You know, it's easy to play the notes and rhythms. Well, it's not easy. I mean, that's why they're professionals, right? But it's easy enough to do that compared to the challenge of matching the tone with the other soloist. And these two do a great job of that. One of them is not outplaying the other, and one of them does not have a much different sounding tone, and thus they complement each other really well. And as they point out on the companion video, they will start with a theme. Typically it's violin two, 
and she'll take the first theme in the key that we are in, and then violin one will come in and he will take the theme a fifth higher while she begins to play a counter theme. Here is the beginning of the second movement. Listen for the violin entrance. That's violin two. That's Emily Dean's playing this first theme, sort of a lovely falling theme, notes falling down. Then now it's Shunsuke Sato's turn to come in with that same theme, but a little higher in the range. And now I'm going to play that again and try and tune your ear to listen to just the violin two part. That's Emily Dean's playing. That's the, the beginning part. As Shunsuke Sato comes in with the top material, try and keep your ear focused on that violin two part that Emily Dean's is playing as that music begins to play some faster notes underneath the other material. So that's the kind of contrast I'm talking about. Music is full of contrast like this. And even though in this era, it was less common to write complicated dynamic instructions like louds and softs into the music, they did write that sometimes. And this music does have that. But most of the contrast is achieved by ranges of instruments and which instruments are playing when, and most importantly, what material they're playing. I think this is such a lovely piece of music with a lovely opening melody and Shunsuke Seito does comment on the fact that it sounds a little closer to Handel than Bach with its mm-hmm. elegant simplicity. It is so simple, and it does sound very Handel, like it doesn't get too complicated until a few measures in when, when the second violin starts being more busy, which is a part that you've already brought up, Alex. But I'd like to take a moment to point out that even though it sounds so almost naturally simplistic this kind of just makes me feel like being outdoors like in a meadow or something it's very pastoral but it is actually one step more decorated than the most basic what makes it beautiful is its musical dissonance which in this case is not at all harsh but instead longingly beautiful so like for example There is actually a suspension going on here that makes that most longing tone so powerful. Yeah, and if it wasn't there, it wouldn't it wouldn't be as good. Right, what you just played there, Christian, is an example of if that did not have a suspension, what that would sound like. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of lovely, but it's not as good. No, it's just straight <laughs> chords. Yeah. They change on the beat. But what Bach has done, and to to um, accentuate this, I'm going to have to not hold the notes out like the violin does because I cannot do what the violin does on the piano. So I'm going to have to restrike the notes. But on the beats are the most passionate tones that have to fall, right? And it happens twice right at the beginning. 
Yeah, especially love that last one, that nine eight suspension, which da 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 da, it's just lovely. Then, if you listened closely to that second violin line where she plays, when she starts to play the faster notes underneath, when the first violin comes in, then when he does come in, you can hear that he's playing that same opening theme with those same lovely suspensions, just a little bit higher in the range. And music theory-wise, it's happening up a fifth, so it's happening in the dominant of the key, which is a typical way that composers would expound upon a main theme in this era. And the whole thing works with such good contrary motion between the bass line and the melody. The melody steps down, down, down. The bass steps up, up, up. Now that we've gone through this exposition of this first theme, I want to point you to my favorite part of this movement, which is actually the second theme that comes in later. And pretty typically of this style, this theme will come in in our main key, which is F again, and then it will repeat a little bit higher in C, which is our dominant key again, just like we saw before. Um, but this time it's a little more complicated. Both violins are playing together and they have this little call and response thing that happens. And what I love about this is it's contrast. Again, coming back to contrast. It's contrast with the first theme. In the first theme, we had a falling motion. In the second theme, we have a rising motion. These notes keep on getting a little higher, although that low note does actually fall during the phrase, right? but the higher notes keep on getting higher, so we get stretched out a little bit. And again, the suspensions really make it here, and they're what give it its pulling quality. Listen to this one moment again, and you'll hear the bass is on a pedal point, which means it stays on the same note. It is repeating this note. It's not like holding a long note, but the repeated notes are the same pitch. Let's listen for that. So that's another contrast. Last time in the main theme, the bass notes were moving, and they were moving up a scale. This time, they are staying put. In the video, the violinist Emily Deans remarks that this is the best eight minutes of music ever <laughs> because yeah. it is so gorgeous. And one um, one piece, as, as we said, Shunsuke Sato compared this to Handel. One piece that I think he was probably thinking of is the Largo from the opera Xerxes by Handel, which has a mm. similar sounding beginning theme. Mm. 
dun, da, da, dun, dun. Very similar. That, that figure is, that is just one of those licks that you hear in Baroque music a lot. If you're thinking about contrast in music, I don't think most people's minds would go straight to the Baroque era when they're thinking about that, right? Because in classical music, in Western classical music at least, the options for drastic orchestrational contrast were not that high in the Baroque era, and the orchestra got bigger and you had a lot more interesting colors to work with later, especially in the Romantic era. So if you're talking about contrast in music, I mean, even just looking one era later at Mozart, there's an obvious example in the Mozart Requiem with the Confutatis movement of the Mozart Requiem. So much great contrast there between the male voices and the anger and the fire of the strings. And suddenly into these angelic female voices with the higher strings playing longer notes in a major key. That's a big contrast. And then, contrast in music has been important to classical music more so than popular music in, as of late. I mean, wouldn't you say, Christian, this is a broad statement, but popular music, at least popular like American top 40 music, doesn't deal as much in contrast, at least in, in dynamic or tone color contrast. But other styles do, like electronic music does a lot. It It goes through these sort of like, these sort of like minutes of quiet and propulsive crescendos into a giant big sound and then back down again. So there's a lot of contrast in dance music, but Mm -hmm. electronic dance music, but in pop music, it's not as much, although actually, actually in the last couple years, we've seen some top 40 hits have some interesting, like sudden moments of quiet, but there aren't that many. Yeah. And a lot of the electronic music contrast these days is also gradual, right? And the thing with, with Bach is that the contrast is often simultaneous. It's not sectional. So, Alex, you brought up the Mozart Requiem and some certain fiery moments from the from classical music. Classical era music, like after Bach, has a lot of contrast. between yeah. it's, it's sectional contrast. Right. right? There'll be like a real bold, heroic, forceful beginning theme, and then there'll be a second theme that's really soft and lyrical and subdued. Yeah. That's what sonata form is, is built on. And then you've got, like you said, the Mozart confrontatis example, which is like A and B. It's like completely separate. You know, yeah, there's so one cool. thing and then a completely other thing. Yeah. Uh, sometimes that sectional contrast is extremely powerful. Just think about the last two episodes we did. The Mass in B minor, which is supposed to be performed in sequence, has two movements in it that are deliberately some of the most contrasted sections of music of all time. Really. They are. And there's one other moment in the Mass of B minor, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a future episode, that has an amazing contrast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And listener, if you don't, well, we'll get there. Yeah. And and that that's a sectional contrast. But that's not common for Bach because, right. well, let me put it this way. The Crucifixus and Et Resurrexit are different pieces of music, but they're intended to be right next to each other. Yeah. In Baroque music, yes, there are contrasts between different affects or tones, Right. In movements, but they're supposed to start and they're supposed to stop and start again. But I think, Alex, what you're really getting at with your concept of contrast here is that what makes Bach and Baroque music in general so powerful contrast wise is that the contrast occurs 
simultaneously. The two things can occur at the same time. The second violin can be off doing another busy thing while the first comes in with the long and sweet, soft thing. Because of the rules of counterpoint, that, that can work. And we can hold two things together in our minds because of harmony making them work together vertically and melody making them work together linearly. Right. Even subconsciously. And I mean, this is why we talk about replay value. A lot of these contrasts that you were talking about, you might not notice the first few times, and they're a little more subtle, maybe than in the Mozart example. But it gives them a, a little bit of extra replay value. That second or third time you're listening, you think, oh, that's what he's doing with that part. And this section that we're talking about that is my favorite here, it's not just because it's so beautiful, but that is a big part of it, right? I mean, it's just so beautiful, these suspensions and the chords that are being used. But it's the contrast between that and the other section, and it is also the contrast of articulation. You listen closely, you can hear the first violin part playing this note, these notes legato, or smooth, connected, and then the second violin playing these notes staccato, or disconnected. And you can hear that if you listen closely. I love this because there's in, in almost every Baroque piece, or especially Bach, who is all about counterpoint, there's going to be contrast between one part doing one thing and another part doing something complete, completely different, but at the same time. Yeah. But this is one of those rare moments where the two parts are doing the same thing at a slightly unfazed time, Yeah. which I love. give them different articulation mm -hmm. so he increases the contrast even more yeah although i will say just to be accurate about this I, I did look at the score and i don't think that articulation is on the manuscript but it could be and it could be a thing that was added later by his son carl philip emmanuel bach who did some editing on this score i'm not sure of the exact timeline of how these articulations got added but everybody uses them now you're right it's so not, it's not in the manuscript yeah i'm looking at it right now so i wonder if that's just a convention but it does seem, you know, Bach did write articulations in sometimes if he wanted some certain contrasts, but it could be actually an editorial thing from later. This reminds me of the opening symphonia of the Actus Tragicus, the Gotis Zeit Cantata with, with the brother recorders do this. Mm, yeah. They just take turns pulsating on this on this one simple melody, one the other, one the other. Yeah, one stays on a note while the yeah. other moves and comes back to the note. In that case, it's just by a step. In this case, it's more, but it's the same idea. Yeah. It's also an amazing stereo acoustic effect. If you are hearing this in headphones or have the benefit of hearing something like this live, it's so cool. Yeah. And this is what a lot of the composers like Bach were trying to get after when they were writing music for like double choirs or whatever it is, double orchestra 
St. Matthew Passion, um, some of Bach, Bach's motets as well. Right. As a final bit of advice to the listener, anybody that has a creative spirit, whether it's music or something else, I would say when you're creating something, try to create interesting contrast within that thing. It's a surefire way to create a lot more interest in what you're working on. And that can be contrast of style or of feel or of dynamic or of, you know, even if it's not music or of, of any of these, any of these aspects, nice. instrumentation, inst- yeah, instrumentation, sound, t- uh, texture, range, like use higher or lower sounds, you know, but especially like to, to use Bach as inspiration, just articulation like you find yourself in a in a song that's mostly really really hard-edged and articulate throw in throw in something in the background maybe simultaneous or another section of sudden smoothness or lyricism that kind of thing yeah and also creative people don't don't be afraid to do two things at one time in your music that doesn't happen so much anymore i want hear i want to hear more of that Use multiple planes of sound at the same time. You don't have to be an expert in counterpoint to do this because it doesn't have to be harmonic. But just add something, add a second thing with the first thing to create simultaneous contrast. It doesn't have to be in the same level of foreground. It can sync to the background. But complexity of texture by way of multiple things happening at once is something I wish I heard more of, I think. Yeah. Add complexity, add interest, and contrast. And that's how you add replayability to your work. And now here is Alex's favorite moment from the second movement of the double violin concerto. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of this piece, please see the link in the episode description to see the performance of the Double Violin Concerto by the Netherlands Bach Society. To hear our new episodes as we release them, find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. We will be on just about any podcast platform. And please give us a rate and a review. So since this is the Double Concerto, we are also going to do a double episode. Yeah. That means that next week... We'll pick one more moment from this wonderful piece of music. So Christian, what moment are you going to pick from the double violin concerto for next week? For our second episode on the Bach double, we will look at part of movement three. Well, it happens a few times throughout movement three. Uh, it's It's a certain figure that happens right near the beginning and also a couple of times later. Until next time, enjoy those moments.